this morning, we think about a peaceful habitation, secure dwellings, quiet resting places where righteousness dwells. That's what God promises to his people. That's really, that's what we look forward to. That's our hope as Christians are these things. And that's the promise of the inheritance that we've been given. And so this morning in our passage, as we dig into these verses in Ephesians, we want to think about these promises. We want to think about who they're for and really how good they are these promises of an inheritance. And so if you have a Bible, I'd invite you to turn to Ephesians chapter 1. Ephesians chapter 1, we'll be reading verses 11 through 14 this morning. Ephesians 1, starting in verse 11. The word of the Lord says this, In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. Amen. May God bless the reading and the teaching of his word this morning. As we read through this section, there are some familiar phrases that come up, some familiar topics. We've already seen this idea of predestination that's talked about here. We saw that back in verse 5. We've repeatedly seen how God is working all things together according to his plan, according to the counsel of his will, and how all of that is to the praise of his glory. He does everything that he would be glorified. But as we, as we read this passage, there's this kind of strange phrase, and it says, there in the verse, we who were the first to hope in Christ. That's in verse 12. And this is the only place in the Bible where we find this phrase, this phrase the, those who were first to hope in Christ. And so as I was reading this passage, thinking through it, this, there were some questions that came to mind with this phrase. What, what does that mean? Who is this talking about? And I want this morning to, to answer those questions, and I think in thinking about this, it's really going to shed a lot of light and help us to see what, what is going on in this passage, what is the main point that Paul and God is trying to communicate to us in this passage. So I want to think about who are the first to hope in Christ. And so as we look at these verses, really what helped it click in my mind was seeing that there's this shift that happens in these verses. We, we start reading, we notice in verse 11 it says, we have obtained an inheritance. Then it continues on in verse 12, we were first to hope in Christ. But then in, in verse 13 it switches, it doesn't say we, 
it says you. In him you also were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. And so there's this switch from, from we to you. And so that really helps us understand, I think, what is going on. It's as though Paul is not just making a distinction between me, the writer of this letter, and you, the recipients of this letter, but he's making this connection between we, the Jews, Paul is a Jewish person, and you, the Gentiles, the people who he's writing to, most of the Ephesian church would have been non-Jewish people. And so he's making this, first he's making this distinction. It seems that he's saying this is about we Jews and you Gentiles. And I think that's the case for a couple reasons. One, because we see that come up. The same phrase, you and you Gentiles, comes up a couple more times in the book. Later in chapter 2, it will come up when Paul talks about you Gentiles who were far off and the Jews who were near. And then we see it again in chapter 3, verse 1, where Paul says he's a prisoner for Christ on behalf of you Gentiles. So it seems like he's already making this connection here in chapter 1. But then there's also this phrase that they obtain an inheritance there in verse 11. And that, that language is really a reminder of what God did in the covenant promises in the Old Testament. When he, he told the people of Israel, I shall be your God and you shall be my people. Right? They're his treasured possession. God is their inheritance. That's what the covenant means. And so I think Paul, with these things in mind, is, is really saying this. He's talking about we Jews and you Gentiles. So uh, you can think about it this way. I don't know if you've ever read the verses where it talks about how Paul would go and he preached the, the gospel to the Jews first and then also to the Greeks. What does that mean, right? He talks about that in Romans 1.16, how the, the gospel is the power of God. He's not ashamed of the gospel. It's the power of God for salvation, for everyone who believes, for the Jew first and also for the Greek, or you could say the Gentile. And so that was his pattern, right? Paul would go into a city on a missionary journey to proclaim the good news about Jesus, and he would, he would start in the synagogues. And then, depending on how they received the message, then he would go and he would take it to everyone else because he wanted to make sure they heard the message. So I think that's what he's saying here, that this phrase is the first who hoped in Christ. I think he's connecting that with the Jews, the Jewish people. They were the first to hope in Christ. Christ. I mean, you can think about it like they had been hoping in Christ for hundreds of years before anyone in this Ephesian church had even been born. They, they had the Old Testament. They knew that the Messiah was coming, and that was their hope, that they would receive the Messiah, receive salvation, receive deliverance. And so I think that's, that helps explain this passage, really, as we look at these verses. I think that's why Paul brings back up this idea of predestination because he doesn't want them to think, hey, this is just for a certain group of people, uh, us Jews versus you Gentiles. No, it's for everyone who believes in Jesus, for the, for the true Jews believers and the true Gentile believers. It's for anyone who is in Christ because that's, that's the key in this passage. You see it over and over. In him, in him, in Christ. In Christ, the Jews obtained an inheritance. And in Christ, the Gentiles 
are saved and obtain an inheritance as well. And so just, just think about that idea. If that's what that phrase means, and I think it, it does mean that, and we see that throughout the rest of this book, then that means that the people in the Old Testament were saved in the same way that people in the New Testament are. Sometimes we'll ask that question, well, Jesus hadn't come yet in the Old Testament, right? How is it that people could be saved, David or Isaiah or anyone else, right? How is it that they had salvation if Jesus hadn't even come and died yet? Well, it's, it gives us an answer right here. If you wanted a, a specific verse to answer that question, this is it. It says in verse 11, in him they obtained an inheritance, right? It's not by having the right parents or the right genealogy. Paul's saying that the reason people in the Old Testament were saved is ultimately because they were in Christ. They hoped in Christ, the Messiah. That's why we see, you know, in the, in the wilderness or other places in the Old Testament, some people will die and face judgment, but other people of the Jewish people will be saved. Well, it's because they hoped in Christ. They believed God. They had faith, right? And so it's really the same in the Old Testament as it is in the New Testament, that it's the belief in the Messiah who makes salvation happen. That's how we are saved. And so that's not just their hope in the Old Testament. They hoped in Christ. They were the first to hope in Christ, but that, that has to be our hope as well. This is the way of salvation. If you want to know the, the process of how to become a Christian, right, this is it. It, it clearly lays it out here in verse 13. You hear the word of truth, the, the gospel, the good news about salvation. You hear the message of Jesus, right? How he came to, to die on the cross for our sins. How he took the punishment that we deserved. Our sin deserves the wrath of God, the punishment of God. But he died as a substitute for us. And then what does it say? You hear that message and believe in him. So it's not just knowing that that's true, knowing that Jesus was real and he came and died on the cross, but it's personal, right? We have to believe in him. We personally have to ask him to forgive us of our sins and trust in him, right? That is the gospel message. That's how we are converted. That's how we become Christians. We believe this. We commit our life to Jesus as Lord and Savior, and anyone who believes this will be saved. Whoever, right? doesn't matter if you're Jew or Gentile. Whoever believes in Jesus will be saved. Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. It's the only way of salvation. He is the only way. And so it's the same, Old Testament, New Testament. And so not only is this passage telling us, hey, people are saved the same way, but it's also telling us, because you're saved the same way, everyone receives the same inheritance. In other words, there aren't tiers within Christianity. It's like some people get the better reward, but some people are not quite as good and don't get the fullness of God like the other people. They just squeak their way into heaven, but don't get the fullness of God, right? No, he's saying everyone gets the full inheritance. And we can see that uh, just in verse 14, right? You, you see this switch again. He says, the Holy Spirit is the guarantee of our inheritance, right? Now he's not talking about we Jews who are first to hope in Christ. 
He's not talking about you Gentiles who believe. Now he's saying our inheritance, everyone. We're all receiving the same inheritance. We have different backgrounds. We have different histories of how much we know about God, how much we've followed God in the past, but every one of us is going to receive the same inheritance. It's, it's ours, right? That's what he says here in verse 14. And that, that's a truth, really, that Paul doesn't, uh, well, he says it's not clear necessarily in the Old Testament. He calls it a mystery. We'll read through this book. We see the term mystery, how there's a mystery of Christ is something that wasn't as clear in the Old Testament, but now that Jesus has come, it's been made clear, something we learn in the New Testament. And just like Jews need Jesus to receive the inheritance in the Old Testament, so we need Jesus to receive the inheritance as well. Uh, You remember verse 11 says that Jews receive this, not only salvation, but they receive the inheritance, the promise of God, through being in Jesus, verse 11. And so that's how all these promises in the Old Testament, when God made these promises to Israel, the reason that they received the promises is not because they're of a certain genealogy, right? Some died in the wilderness. They didn't receive the promises. What's the difference between them and the ones who do receive it? It's not the the ethnicity having the right genealogy. It's those who believe in Jesus the Messiah. That's how the promises, it says God gives the promises to them in Christ, in him. That's how they have the promises. And so because the inheritance is based on faith in Jesus, not just for Jews, but everyone else who believes in Jesus will also receive the inheritance. In other words, Paul doesn't say there's a different inheritance for Jews versus Gentiles. It's our inheritance. It's the same. And like I said, that's something that's not real clear in the Old Testament, but Paul knows, hey, that's a mystery that's now clear now. And he knows he's, he's been given this message to proclaim it. We'll see that in chapter 3. That's his, his mission. He's a messenger of this mystery that God has revealed that everyone is saved in Christ and receives this. And so, Really, that's some loaded theology. That has some loaded implications. Really, in just four verses here, and Paul will work this out in the rest of the book, but he's shifting an entire paradigm. At this time, there would have been a distinct separation. Hey, we're the people of God. We're the Jews, right? And there was, at, at first, there was this big tension between Jews and Gentiles. Uh, we're the people of God. Yeah, you can come in, but it's, you know, they kind of viewed them as not the same because they hadn't been following God. They hadn't obeyed his word. They didn't have the same promises. But Paul says, no, that's not how that works. Everyone who believes in Jesus has the same reward, the same inheritance. And so really that has massive implications for for how we read the Old Testament, for the promises in the Old Testament, what that means for us. That has massive implications, not just for what happened in the past, but what's going to happen in the future with, with end times in the millennium and and other promises that are given. But uh, we can't go into that this morning. Uh, We'll have to save that for another time. I was reading the book of Hebrews this week, and I forget how he phrased it, but he basically said, we'll have to save that for another time. And that's that's a great pastoral message, right? You can't say it all at once. But as we read the Bible, that's something that we can think about and ruminate about. But that's what Paul is saying here. 
that we believe in Jesus, everyone's saved the same way by believing in Jesus. And because we're saved the same way, everyone receives the same inheritance through Jesus. And so as we uh, transition, as we uh, move to this final point this morning, I want to focus on what is that inheritance, right? Because that's, we really need to know that. It's not just, hey, we have an inheritance, but this is good news. Paul says, this is our inheritance. You need to know this, right? This is closing the section of verses 3 through 14, and, and Paul is praising God for all the spiritual blessings that he's given to us in Jesus, and this is how he closes, by talking about this inheritance that we've been given. It makes him I mean, it makes him break out into a doxology. Praise God, from whom all blessings flow. This inheritance is reason to praise him. And we have it because because we've been adopted into the family of God. That's what Paul reminds us of here, right? Because we didn't deserve an inheritance, right? We were separated. We We were sinners. We were on the streets and outside of the city of God, and God brought us in and didn't just you know, keep us at the fringes of the kingdom. No, he brought us into his house, brought us into his family, and he made us sons who have an inheritance. This is like the firstborn son, the right that we have now, that we're not just the black sheep of the family, right? God brings us in, saves us, and gives us the full inheritance. That's, that's the good news. And so what is this inheritance? This inheritance is that we get to experience full redemption. Full redemption. So why do I say that? Later, later in this book of Ephesians, over in chapter 4, verse 30, it might be on the same page, you might have to turn one page, but it says that we're sealed by the Holy Spirit. That's the same language we find in this verse, right? Being sealed by the Holy Spirit. And why are we sealed? In verse, chapter 4, verse 30, we're sealed by the Holy Spirit for the day of redemption. So the Holy Spirit is connected to the day of redemption. So what does that mean? It doesn't mean that we're, we're not redeemed right now, like we're still waiting to be guaranteed salvation, to be guaranteed forgiveness. But it does mean really that God's not done with us yet. There are still things that are imperfect in our life, that one day on that day, the day of redemption, God's going to bring us the full experience of salvation. Uh, we read from 1 Peter some this morning where it talks about an imperishable, an unfading reward, and it's undefiled, right? This is a day where, where our bodies will be fully redeemed. We won't have the effects of sin anymore, the, the health issues, the, the decay, the, the forgetfulness, the, the sin that clings to us, and we just keep fighting against, but it's still there, and we keep having to shake through our lives. We won't face that anymore on the day of redemption. God will fully redeem us. And it's redemption not just inside of us, but it's redemption outside of us. It doesn't stop with our bodies. God's going to fully redeem everything. When you read Romans 8, it talks about how creation itself has effects of sin. Sin doesn't just affect us personally. The world doesn't run like it was created to because of sin. But God says, on this day of redemption that you're sealed for, you're guaranteed to get, on that day, everything will be made right. There will be no more sin in the world. No more effects of sin will happen. So you'll be perfect, 
and you'll live in a perfect society. You'll live in a, a perfect world where, uh, as Isaiah says, the, the child will be able to reach their hand into the adder's den and they won't get bit by the snake, right? This perfect world where there's nothing that goes wrong. There's no conflict at all. There's, there's nothing at all. Everything will be made new and perfect because it's a place where, where righteousness dwells. Because it's a place where God is. And his presence is there. And so Paul says, hey, you're guaranteed. If you're a Christian, you are guaranteed to be a part of this. And the guarantee is here because God has already given you his Holy Spirit. We look forward to a day when we're fully in the presence of God. Well, God's already given you his presence right now in the Holy Spirit. He's marked you out. He's sealed you as his person that he's going to keep through eternity by giving you the Holy Spirit. And that means that not only do we have him now, we get to experience some of that redemption now, that forgiveness, the, the weight of sin off of our shoulders, right? But we know that we'll get to experience the fullness of this in the future. We, we will have this hope come to pass, right? We hope in Christ that he will guaranteed make this happen, bring the perfect world and fully redeem us. What we have now is just a taste. It's a down payment of what's going to happen. And so this is, this is full redemption. This is our inheritance. Uh, full redemption of ourselves, of our bodies, uh, clearing away of every sin and its effects, not just from inside us, but outside us as well, in the world around us. And I think as we, as we close this morning, a good way to, to draw to an end and to finish is just by reading Isaiah and what Isaiah says about what this inheritance, what this place will be like that we get to inherit. This is from Isaiah chapter 32, verses 15 through 18. And you'll notice some connections with our passage we read this morning. Isaiah 32, starting in verse 15, says this. The Spirit is poured upon us from on high, and the wilderness becomes a fruitful field and the fruitful field is deemed a forest. Then justice will dwell in the wilderness and righteousness abide in the fruitful field. And the effect of righteousness will be peace. And the result of righteousness, quietness and trust forever. My people will abide in a peaceful habitation, in secure dwellings, and in quiet resting places. And that is the promise of God to us, our inheritance. A peaceful habitation, secure dwellings, and a quiet resting place where righteousness dwells. That's a good inheritance. And that's our promise from God as Christians. Let's pray together this morning. Father God, we are thankful for your word that you tell us that this is guaranteed for us, this inheritance that the work that you've started in us, you will finish, that when you make us new, you will make us completely new. Lord, we look forward to that day. God, we feel the effects of sin in our lives. We feel the, the effects on our body of how we decay, of how we have health issues, of how we have emotional things going on. We have strife with others. We have sin that clings to us. Lord, we feel the effects of sin. 
Oh God, we thank you for this good news that one day that you will eliminate it all, that righteousness, you will bring your righteousness here to earth and you will reign in righteousness. Lord, we look forward to that. We pray that we will have that hope, that you will give us a picture in our heads of how amazing that will be, that we will hold on to that as we go through uh, the difficulties in life. And Lord, we pray that we'll rejoice in, in that. We pray that you will open our minds to see more and more of how amazing these promises are that you have given us because of what Jesus has done on the cross. And we pray that we will glorify you. In Jesus' name, amen.